Amen. You can take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. I was reminded of a quote by John Falconer, as I think of Nigeria. He said, I'd, I'd rather use my candle of light, my little life candle of light, to burn out a land flooded, or a land in, uh, in darkness rather than a land flooded with light. Sure. And that's definitely where the youngs are going. I usually come up and say something nice about the missionaries, but since they already took you on for support, that's done. <laughs> All right. So, anyways. Great people to support. I wanted to give, uh, I gave a book away last night. You guys failed the test, but uh, uh, Jason actually got it afterwards. Yeah. But um, I wanted to make it easy tonight, hopefully easier. Uh, and so I'm going to give this book away, another copy of that same book, uh, for the one that can just simply tell me what my name is. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what the passage was and the name of the message from last night. Does anybody know that? Anybody at all? Come on now. Ms. Styles. You want it. Awesome. Come get it after the service. I'll, I'll say it for you after the service. All right. Good job. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. I don't even remember my own passages, so I don't blame you. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. That verse absolutely does not make sense when you really read it, but it does make sense. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we had hoped, but first gave themselves, their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you this same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Amen. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. This evening I want to preach a message entitled, Becoming an Excellent Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day for all your blessings. God, we pray as we close out this missions conference, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts once again. Yeah. God, that you'd help all of us to make the, the commitment for this year that would be honoring to you, God, that would say that we truly believe in the Great Commission. We believe it's our responsibility. And Lord, we by faith make a promise to you this year that we are going to give a certain amount of money. God, that it would be an, a, a gift of faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. In the 1980s, a man by the name of Tom Peters was given a a large amount of money to travel around the world and interview some of the world's most successful leaders. And for his research, he actually put together a presentation that came to over 700 slides. He realized that there was no way his boss was going to listen to this presentation. And so he sat there and he thought over it and he thought over it and he thought over it. Finally, he leaned forward and he wrote down eight principles on a sheet of paper. And those eight principles became basically the framework for a book that he co-authored entitled In Search of Excellence. 
And that word excellence became the, the, the key word, the catchphrase for all successful businesses from then on out, even, even up to this day and time, a buzzword for successful leaders and successful corporations. And I contrast that to what goes in in churches a lot of time and the mentality of church members a lot of time that a little bit's okay. Uh, in South Africa, we call things common that are, that are just normal and, and, and below par and, and uh, poor even. Uh, common things, those are good enough for the Lord. A little bit of effort, a, a little bit of money, uh, tagging things on there, little effort, little work, that sort of thing, but definitely not excellence many times. We don't think of the word excellence when it comes to the things and the work of God. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 7, if you'll look it back at it with me again, it says, therefore, as you abound, and that word abound means to excel in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Amen. You know, as you, as you go around the world and you go around to different churches, especially as missionaries, there's a lot of different type of churches out there. And Corinthians was, the church at Corinth was a church that kind of prided themselves on and having all these spiritual gifts. But Paul was saying, look, it, it, you may have these gifts and, and you may have these gifts and think that you're very good in these gifts. But as you excel in these gifts, don't forget to excel in the grace of giving also. Paul's exhorting the Corinthians to be generous in their giving to the special offering that they were going to give to the poor churches in Judea. But notice how he, ver he begins in verse number seven by appealing for excellence in those six areas and then he, he locks it down on the last one, the last one that many churches and many individuals leave off. Man, a good teacher, good singer, good this, that, and the other, but if you looked at the giving, they're not excelling, they're not abounding in the grace of giving. So I want us to examine these areas so that we also can be an excellent church. The first one is this, we should excel in faith, he says there. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, the first one. The New Testament doesn't just emphasize the personal faith of an individual, but many times it will, it will also emphasize the, the faith of churches as a whole. In Romans chapter one, we read of, of that church, it says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. One of the key characteristics of an excellent church is a church that excels in the area of faith. We know that it's impossible to be a church that pleases God without excelling in the area of faith. It's impossible to please God as an individual without excelling in the area of faith. How do, you, how do you recognize a church that excels in this? I think, for starters, you would see the works that they do. You see the, the missionaries that they send and the ministries that they sustain. How obedient are they by faith to the work the Lord Jesus Christ left us to do on the earth? Paul wrote of the church at Thessalonica. He said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. This is why missionaries have been sent out over the years out of Whitfield Baptist Church. This is why Brother Wayne is trying to get the church to support more missionaries because he understands that a church of faith is a church that is an excellent church and a church that has the hand of God and the blessings of God upon it. 
We cannot settle. We cannot stop reaching out. A church that does not operate in faith is a church that's dying. And believe me, as missionaries, we go all over the place, over the U.S., and we see many churches that are, have stopped operating in faith and are dying. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of churches that we can't even get into because they have no faith. At a meeting of Baptist leaders in the late 1700s, a newly ordained minister stood up and argued for the value of overseas missions, for foreign missions. And he was abruptly interrupted by an older general, gentleman in the room, an older preacher, who said, young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast, and when God, uh, when God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without you. That young minister was William Carey, the first Baptist missionary sent to India. Amen. And he argued that Jesus' great commission applied to all Christians of all times, and he rebuked fellow believers in his day for ignoring it. And this is what he said. He said, multitudes of Christians sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. Kerry didn't stop there. He didn't just rebuke those people. He didn't just rebuke the, the believers there, the, 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 the churches there. In 1792, he organized a missionary society. And at its first meeting, he preached a sermon, which is famous, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Amen. He had faith in God. And within a year, Kerry and John Thomas, a co-worker who was a former surgeon, and Carrie's family, which were three boys and another child on the way, boarded a ship and headed for India. It wasn't easy. His wife didn't even want to go. He lost a child serving the Lord. But he excelled in faith. God expects his people, his churches, to step out and to abound in faith. A church that's going to be known all over the world a church that's going to have an impact all over the world is going to be a church that operates in faith. I have the privilege of knowing some of those. Whitfield Baptist Church, you may not be participating in that aspect of it, but Whitfield Baptist Church is known in many parts of the world. you want to know why? Because there are missionaries that have been sent out of this church to different parts of the world. There are missionaries all over the world that are supported by Whitfield Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, we have New Life Baptist Church across the, the road just a ways, and we have a church in South Africa named New Life Baptist Church. Churches that operate in faith. Amen. Christians that operate in faith, excelling in faith. The greatest days of Whitfield Baptist Church lie ahead if Whitfield Baptist Church continues to operate by faith. And the day it stops doing that is the day it's going to start dying. You realize that churches die, right? Those churches that are dying are churches that stopped operating in faith, started looking inward, started looking to their own lives and stopped caring for the ones that are lost and dying outside these walls and across the seas that we cannot see. So an excellent church excels at faith, in faith. It also excels, he says, number two, in utterance. There in verse number uh, seven again, in faith and utterance. This word is, is basically referring to the teaching and preaching ministry 
of the church, the teaching and, min and preaching ministry uh, or preaching of the word of God. You'll hear people, actually, as a matter of fact, as we were praying, I think it was on Sunday, Brother Mark Cozell was praying for the service, and he was praying for the speaker, he was praying for me as a preacher, and he was also praying for the missionary, that God would give us utterance, that we would be able to teach and preach the word of God with clarity and with power. Amen. Paul asked in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, he said, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance, the opportunity to preach the gospel, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. We have the truth of God's word. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to ponder Romans chapter 1 verse 16, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. So many times we get intimidated by talking to people but you don't have to be intimidated, and you don't have to defend the word of God. You just have to unleash it. It is powerful. It convicts people's souls. In sermons and lessons and conversations, we share, with the, we share the message with excellence. We have to work at it. This is not just knowing what to say, but working to say it right. Don't be satisfied with just saying, I'm not a good speaker. I was not a good speaker, and I'm not the greatest speaker now. But I continually work at trying to speak the word of God as best I can. I want to represent God the best I can. I want to give clarity to the scriptures, not to confuse them. I hate it and you hate it when somebody says, well, Brother Vinny said this. And Brother Vinny says, I know I didn't say that. You took me out of context. I did not say that at all. Well, God hates that too. And so we should be very careful at saying God said this. We should work at this ministry, at this grace of utterance. How well do you speak the word of God? How well do you know the word of God? How seriously do you take the word of God? Do you toy with it? Can you say whatever you want to say when you stand up to talk about the word of God? Each one of us have a responsibility to do that. This church's light will shine brighter across the ocean when the members of the church take seriously the grace of utterance amongst one another you know why because more young people are being raised up in this church to serve the word of God because we'll be given clarity to all the scriptures we'll be knowing the word of God we'll be knowing the heartbeat of God we'll be seeing the the great commission and and how God loves people so much and there'll be mamas and daddies that see that and take it so seriously that as they preach that and teach that to their children that it grips their children's heart more than sport more than education more than money when we take serious the utterance Amen. of God's word we believe in the teaching and preaching of God's word. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. He said, if any man speak, if any woman speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. This means that anybody, that person that teaches should have everything that they say grounded in line with what the word of God actually teaches. You know why churches get off off, off balance and, and get, in, get to emphasizing things that they shouldn't be emphasizing and forget about a lost and dying world because the, what they're teaching is not grounded in, in the scriptures and especially in the big picture of scriptures. 
Might get all centered in that, that verse that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And I can take that in the context that I want to, and I can be the best football player in the world and make a lot of money. Or I can go be good at basketball. And that's what that verse means. That's not what that verse means. It's not what it's talking about. So we got to be clear in our utterance. We got to be grounded in the word of God. And we got to make sure that, that what we teach is grounded in the word of God. I'm not offended when somebody goes to the scriptures and says, you know what, that's not really what that scripture was saying. When I got to South Africa, I had a man in my church. Man, I'd preach, and uh, it was kind of unusual. But uh, a few weeks into it, I preached, and I got an email. And he was asking about what I preached and, and, and asking if I really interpreted the scriptures properly in that place. I was a little offended at first. But then I thought about the Bereans, and I thought, you know what? That's a pretty noble thing he was doing there. That's right. I said, you know what? I, I told the guys, like, look, I'm not, I'm not perfect at this. I'm working as hard as I can. I'm trying to get better each and every week. I said, I think what I said was right, but I'm just, just be gracious with me. I'm going to get better at this thing. But I was glad he was listening. I was glad as I was teaching. He's going back and look at the word of God to see if what I was teaching was right. Sure. Because we're not doing any good if we're not grounded in the word of God. This takes work. In 2 Timothy 2.15, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is for all of us. It's not just preachers. I think we would have a lot more preachers if a lot more of the church members were digging in the word of God the way they should. Because it's hard to get into the word of God and not be eaten up by it. You know why the average Christian thinks a pastor works only one day a week? Because they have little experience digging in the Word of God. It takes work. They're actually telling on themselves when they say that kind of stuff. They've never really studied the Scriptures properly. It's a key component in missions. I can go to the field. I can go to South Africa. And I can build a big church as far as attendance is concerned. And if I leave there without having taught them and helped them to excel in utterance in the teaching and preaching of the word of God. And obviously God working in them, as Paul said, I work, work as hard as I can on the outside, but God working mightily on the inside. And I leave there, you know what's going to happen to that church? It's going to die. This is what I told the church many times, Grace Baptist Church there in Port Elizabeth. I said, guys, we can, we can do a lot of things here, but if there's not a preacher here, if there's not someone to, to give utterance amongst you faithfully, week in, week out, accurately, this church, no matter how many people you have, no matter how much money you have in the bank, it's just a matter of time before you close your doors. Right. Or you're just not a church anymore because you're not preaching God's word. I just got off the phone today. We walked into Tijuana's over here, and as I was... Before I got in there, I'd actually started a conversation with one of the pastors in South Africa. And man, he was, he was talking to me, had, had some issues he was dealing with. But after we got through the issues, he started saying, you know, it helped him just to talk to someone about it. But, but he said, you know, in actuality, God's been really good to us. He said, and I don't know how I was supposed to take this, but he said, since you left, there's a really good spirit in the church. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. But he said, you know, after the service, I just look around. And he said, there's all these young preachers, and they're just talking about the Word of God. 
They're just talking about the word of God with one another. Praise God for that. Because I know that there's going to be a whole lot more people being fed when there's a lot more people that are grounded in God's word. That's what we, that's what we support Brother Graham Young to do. He's going to go to Nigeria, and he's going to go over there and train leaders that will be able to give utterance to the word of God and be able to start more churches and train other guys that will be able to do the same thing. Amen. Excel in knowledge, the third one. Connected with that same one uh, of utterance is knowledge. There was a, a professor at Boston University who wrote a book entitled Religious Literacy in which he claims that even churchgoers in America are woefully deficient in Bible knowledge. And according to his studies, listen to this, 60% of Americans can't name half of the Ten Commandments, and here's a bigger one, 50% of high school seniors, so however many high school seniors in here, you don't have to raise your hand, uh, they think Sodom and Gomorrah were married. And But this is more than just a, a Bible knowledge. This is more than just an uh, electronic quiz and, and, and being able to, to answer some multiple choice questions. This is a knowledge of God. This is knowing God. And it's easy to become lax in your spiritual life. It's easy to become lax in your Christian life when you don't really know God the way you should. But a church that is an excellent church is a church that excels in knowing God. You'll never know him to the depths of him. You probably know just a, just a dabble of him. But knowing him, drawing close to him. A.W. Tozer said the, the most important thing about a person is what comes to their mind when they think of God. Amen. Because you either have a high low of God or a low view of God. If you have a high view of God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to radically impact your life. If you really know the Lord and you really know his character and you really know his word and you, you know what he expects and, and all those different things, you're gonna, you're gonna, it, there's, it's going to radically change your life. If you have a low view of God, you're going to live a lukewarm life. You're not going to care when he says, hey, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You're not going to care when he says that all those that don't know Christ Jesus are going to burn in hell for all eternity. It's not going to matter to you. Because you don't really know him. Knowing God accurately is a mark of an excellent church. How well do you know him? How well do you know his character? How well do you know his heart? A church that claims to know God or an individual that claims to know the God of heaven but does nothing for world missions cares nothing about giving to send people where they cannot go to take the gospel is a dishonest, a fraud, and a hypocrite. Because you cannot claim to know God and not know His heart. And that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die on a cross so that anybody that believes in Jesus Christ could be saved. A deeper knowledge of God, a deeper relationship with God goes hand in hand with a deeper commitment to world evangelism. They go together. You know, as, as Brother Graham was talking about, church, there's churches in South Africa, for instance, there are churches all over South Africa. Honestly, at Madiba Bay Baptist Church, I could stand outside, close my eyes, and probably throw a rock, and I'd hit a church. There's that many churches. 
but they don't know God. One time, it was Newton Baptist Church that came over and visited us, and we were taking them through the cemetery because so many people die there. Uh, life expectancy is low. Um, it's just incredible. Uh, my language teacher, for instance, uh, one of my language teachers, uh, she was actually just the mother tongue speaker that we would use. Every, every week, almost without exception, we would ask her, and she would say, uh, she would say, she would say, I'm going to a funeral. What are you going to do this weekend? I'm going to a funeral. Every weekend? People die that often. I mean, it's just crazy how, how relevant, how, how often people die connected to you. And so we're driving around the, the, the cemetery, and we get stopped by some police officers who are wondering what we're doing, like a van full of white people out in the middle of a cemetery that's all uh, African people. So it did look a little suspicious. And uh, so they asked us what we're doing. I told them, I said, no, they're from America, and we're just trying to teach them some culture and different things. They said, hey, follow us. We'll show you some real culture. And so they took us over to their house, behind their houses, and they began to explain to us. And I don't like saying, I don't like speaking for people about what they believe. Uh, you know, it just makes you sound like you're su superior to them. So I just ask questions, let them talk for themselves. And these guys, one of them is high up in the Presbyterian church. The other one is, they're both leaders in the Presbyterian church and Methodist church. And you'd think, they're, they're, at least in the Methodist church, you might be able to get the gospel. But as they're, they're talking, they're talking about this little area behind their house. It's called a crawl. It's where they keep their livestock. But it's also a religious area. It's connected to their ancestors. And they began asking them questions about their ancestors and different things. And they began to explain it. And how ancestors, they were explaining, and I said, that, that's kind of like a mediator. And he was like, yes, it's a go-between, between us and God. So there's churches all over the place in Africa, in sub-Sahara Africa, in many places. Some of the places don't have, but many places, the prosperity gospel has come in, and a lot of these mainline denominations, but they have syncretized their, their ancestral religions in those churches. And so they don't know God. An excellent church excels in knowledge, in knowing Him, and taking that knowledge of Him Amen. to the ends of the earth. Fourthly, I'm going to hurry, we should excel in diligence. This is a steady, constant effort, effort in business of any kind to accomplish what is undertaken. You know, many times people don't serve the Lord because it just, it just takes the, the trips too long. They want the shortcut. They want to get there tomorrow. That's right. But many times in serving God, it starts with running a bus route. It starts with leading a children's ministry. Sure. It starts with things that get you no glory whatsoever. It's a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of behind-the-scenes work. But if you're not willing to do that stuff, the devil might elevate you, but God's not going to elevate you. When you humble yourself and you're willing to do those things, God will take you as you steadily work for him, as you steadily serve him, as you're diligent in your Christian life. God promotes you. God lifts up. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. We see this all the time in secular studies. We see diligence. We see this in sport, diligence. We see in business for making money. We see diligence, but we don't see it as often as we should 
in the church. We call those that begin to excel in the church fanatics. In, so, in Proverbs twenty two twenty nine, the Bible says, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. If you want to be used by God, you have to learn to be diligent in your Christian life. An excellent church is a church that is made up of diligent members. How many have ever said, you might have caught yourself saying this one time, I'd love to play the piano. I've said it. But you know, I'm never going to play the piano until I get diligent and I'm willing to work at it day after day after day after day. Man, I really want to know God. I really want to go grow in my Christian life. Well, let me just tell you, it's not going to happen until day after day after day Amen. after day, week after week after week, month after month after month, and year after year after year, you get into his word right. and you learn to talk to him on a daily basis. You want to be a strong Christian, a man or a woman of God, someone who knows their Bible with excellence, you're going to have to be diligent about it. We must excel in knowledge, excel in utterance, but we can't stop there. We must excel in overall diligence, steady, constant effort toward the goals that we have in reaching the world. The description of what we're supposed to do and be until Jesus comes back in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, it says, looking for and hasting under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So we're looking for that. But here's what he says to do in the meantime. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Diligence is in contrast to being asleep. It's in contrast to being distracted with other things. It's being in contrast to being indifferent to the things of God or slothful in the work of God or unfaithful or uninvolved. Diligence. How would you describe your, your work and your walk for the Lord? Every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. A diligent church matches a church that says it believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the faith, the faith promise of this church will without a doubt, without a doubt, go up when the diligence of each member of this church goes up. Fifthly, and I'm almost finished, we should excel in love. I heard a preacher the other day say that God is love, but quickly noted that God is not, love, God, love is not God. He said that, you know, God completely describes love, but love does not completely describe God. That being said, his children coming from him should have this characteristic in their own lives. And we're able to have that because he shed his love abroad in our hearts. An excellent church is a church that excels in this area of love. Jesus said this is how the world would know that we are his disciples, that we love one another. When we don't have things like uh, serving one another and preferring one another and caring for, caring for one another, when those things are not evident in our lives and in the church, it's obvious that love is not excelling in this church. 
When we don't do these things, we give doubts about whether or not we're even really his. In John, 1 John chapter 4, it says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For that lo- he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not, not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Excellent churches love one another. We prefer one another over ourselves. We serve one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, and lead to the last point, Paul said this, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. In other words, Paul says, you can prove your love by your giving. You say you love people. You say you have this gift of love. You say you have this, all these different gifts. Now put your money where your mouth is. He says, he says, excel in all these, but don't leave this other one undone. Having said all that, Paul was gearing up for this last point. This grace also. He's, he's wanting the church to excel in the, in the, in the, in the area of giving. And that's where these two, what these two chapters are about. It's about giving. He, he thinks, well, you know, that the Corinthians might say, well, we can't do very much. We don't have the funds right now. But Paul used, if you'll read the first few verses here, Paul used that, that Macedonian church that was in poverty as an example to them, who gave out of their, their deep poverty and their trials and their afflictions, gave up abundantly beyond themselves, and not only beyond themselves, but they gave themselves first. In South Africa, there's a lady in our church, and she was just, man, she's a godsend. And anybody that's ever been to South Africa knows where a lot of our churches are in the townships. It's, it's poor people. It's people that live in poverty. And we had started Madiba Bay Baptist Church. We had met in a community hall. Then we met in a, a storefront. And then we finally were ready to move to a building. And some churches had given some money, some churches in the States. Whitfield probably even gave some money toward that. And we were able to purchase a building there in in, in, in Kwasakele. The building, any buildings that you leave in the township as an owner, if you don't do something with it quickly, it gets devoured. The roof goes off, the windows go off, the plumbing, the electrical, everything that is anything will be gone. Our building was a hole, basically. It was a gas station, and it just had the outline, and we had to go back and fill in all the in, insides of it. The whole building was a landfill. People for for probably over a decade had just been dumping their rubbish, their trash inside this building. It was filthy. But we finally, we, when, when I was away, the church actually came together and cleaned that whole building up. And I'm serious, it was, it was piled probably waist high with just trash. No telling what was in there. So they got all that out. We cleaned it up. We put in all the, the, the block and the windows and all this stuff, but we got robbed left and right. I mean, it was a culture shock for me. I didn't even, I, I couldn't understand what was going on. We would take two steps forward, three steps back. We would put in a window, and they would take two windows. Uh, it's just crazy. Door frames, we put door frames in. We come back the next day, the door frames are gone. I was like, what is going on here? Finally, we got the building built, and we put burglar bars on the windows, and they stole the burglar bars. <laughs> I, was, I was at my wits' end. I really was. I was, I was not understanding the rules of the game, apparently. And it was frustrating the daylights of me. My, my bank account was done. 
And honestly, I was done. I didn't want to spend another dime because I felt like I was just giving it to thieves. But we got to the point where we were ready to get in the building. And I guess the, the thievery had kind of calmed or whatever. We, we kind of got a handle on it. And, but we were still short $500 to get our main line from the main uh, electrical source at the road to the building. And the, the municipality had to come and put that in. And I really was, I was out of money. And I, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I wasn't going to ask for it from churches. And we were just going to sit that way for a while. But there was a woman in the church that got saved through a funeral that we had had. And then through an a anniversary that we had where we had cake. She came for the cake. That's her testimony. And she got Jesus. But man, did she get Jesus. She got saved. She'd bring her grandkids to church. She brought her kids to church. She brought her husband to church. I think everybody in this lady's family made a profession of faith, and I'm not kidding. She'd walk out on the streets, and people in her street would run in the opposite direction because they knew Mama Johnson was going to try to bring them to church. But we needed that $500. And I was just like, oh. I felt like, it almost felt like, and it feels this way sometimes as missionaries, it feels like, man, does anybody care? Am I the only one care? Do I care more than y'all care about this? And you know what? Mama Johnson's family gave $500 to put that electrical line in from the street to the church building. L let me just tell you, that was like $20,000 to this lady. That, I mean, that was to a lady that sells little candies out of her house for 50 cents or 10 cents. And I'm not talking in dollars. I'm talking you divide that by 15 for a little bit of money. And she gave that $500 to help her church get electricity. The grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. How's your giving this evening? Say, so, well, I can sing real good. Have you heard me preach? I teach really well. Have you heard me explain the Word of God? How many missionaries are you helping get to the furthest parts of the, the world. How much do you give to support preachers where you'll never be able to go but to ensure that they get to hear the gospel? Amen. This brother's going to Nigeria. There is nothing appealing. There is nothing appealing about going to Nigeria other than there's 20 million souls in that one city that need Jesus. Almost a billion people on the continent of Africa that need Jesus. Are you giving toward that? I know there's some people in this church that you give graciously. You give faithfully. Amen. You give believing right. what you claim to believe with your mouth. You believe in your heart. You believe with your wallet. But I bet there's some in the church that letting go of your wallet is pretty tough. Because that's where your heart is. I remember when I learned just about tithing. I was working a summer job, and uh, I got my first check, and uh, I was told I needed to give 10%. I told you I wasn't very good at math, so I just had to clarify, like, how much money is that out of my check? And they said that number, and I was like, oh, can we negotiate that? That's, that's quite a bit of money. 
sooner or later you got to let go of it. That's right. And just like you have worked maybe to excel in those other grace areas, work to abound, to excel, to go beyond what others are doing, what may be the norm or what you're comfortable with. Go beyond that and excel in giving. And here's the key. You're not given to Whitfield Baptist Church. You're really not even given to this missionary. You're giving to God. And what we do here on earth, we give to men, but he receives it there. Every dollar of it. He knows what you give and what you gave it for. Are you excelling in the grace of giving? This coming Sunday, you're going to fill out a card. Will you excel in the grace of giving? Or will you be stingy? Will you be faithless? Will you continue to maybe show your Christianity in various ways, but all the while failing in this area of giving? We're going to decide on Sunday how important reaching that world with the gospel is. I've heard Brother Wayne say already, we would love to take on all these missionaries that have been here and love to take on more this coming year. But really that's going to be dependent upon whether or not you're wanting to abound, to excel in your giving this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. I pray that you please help our church to be an excellent church. Help us to abound, to excel in the area of giving. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment of invitation. What a great message. You know, we need to abound, not just hold the fort. We don't need to just... Uh, try to hold on to what we got through this pandemic, we need to take new ground. We need to stretch our faith. And I thank God for the challenge. But maybe tonight, God's spoken to you about your faith. Maybe God's spoken to you about your utterance. You're not taking advantage of the opportunities to witness and be a witness and your knowledge, your diligence, your love, and your giving. And I believe with all my heart, that God will give more through you than he'll give to you. And God doesn't want us to be reservoirs holding the fort. He wants us to be channels of blessings. And that's why I'm so glad that we're a missionary Baptist church by practice, not just by name. But let me say, preacher, I need more faith. And I want to express more faith. And I want to be a vessel and a channel of God's blessing more than ever in my life. And I want you to please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up high for prayer in response to this good message? All over the place. Amen. Thank God you're here. You've encouraged the preacher and you've encouraged these very young missionaries by your presence tonight. It's amazing. Just coming to church can encourage somebody, especially missionaries that go to the least attended meetings of the year, sometimes a missions conference. Thank God for you. Is there anyone here to say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I've never trusted the Lord as my Savior. And I need to put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, so I can go to heaven. And I want to tell you something, friend. There's a lot of religion in this world, especially in Dalton and Whitfield County. And that religion will send you to hell. You need to be born again. And you say, Preacher, I'm not absolutely sure I'm saved, but I want you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up real high for prayer for salvation? Anyone? 
be great to end this missions revival with somebody getting truly born again, being saved. Father, thank you for, I see that hand, God bless you, buddy. God, thank you for the messages, especially this one tonight, as the Lord it just ties everything together. And God, there's a lot of prayer needs in our country. There's a lot of major decisions gonna be made tomorrow. But God, I think the greatest decision that ever be made is in the house of God, where we will yield our life and our priorities to you for worldwide missions. So God, give us a heart for the world. Give us a vision of people and every nation worshiping you. God, if one more person would get saved, that'd be one more person that glorify your name. And so Lord, please, please God, increase our faith, our utterance, our love, our diligence, all that's been preached on tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'd use this message your glory and your honor in through our church. God, help us to be an excellent church in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.